In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our texts are the Gospel reading and the Epistle reading which you've heard. You may be seated. The season of Epiphany is often associated with the miracles of Jesus that reveal him to be God in the flesh. Today's miracle, though, has something else that is worthy of our attention. The location that this miracle happens is at a wedding. This is worthy of our attention and is something that the church has long recognized. In the church's wedding rite, the pastor begins the service with a rather lengthy address that nicely lays out our theology of marriage and why it is so significant. One line that's very early in that address grabs onto the events of our gospel reading and says, Our Lord blessed and honored marriage with his presence and first miracle at Cana in Galilee. By blessing the couple in this way, Jesus shows his delight in marriage, how much he loves marriage. And so today we're going to take a look at what the Bible says about marriage. The first place to begin is, well, at the beginning, in the Garden of Eden. Marriage was instituted and blessed by God in paradise before humanity's fall into sin. And you probably know this story well from Genesis chapter 2, how God recounts for us the story of the creation, the formation of Adam from the dust of the ground, how no helper was fit for him, how after naming all of the animals, God caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam that he might take from Adam, take from Adam's side the rib and, and as the, the Hebrew text tells us, builds him a wife named Eve. She is at last flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. Genesis 2.24 caps off that story and it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Is at that very moment that God knitted the man and the woman together into that one flesh union. On a very personal note, I always find great delight in this reading because we see that marriage is something that has existed since before the fall into sin. Consider that. It is the oldest of all of our institutions. It is as old as creation itself. What we see from this passage is no longer apparent to the world that is around us, which means that it now becomes incumbent upon us as the church to preach it and teach it, not just with our words, but also how we live as husbands and wives today. So according to its creator, marriage is the union of one man with one woman. Anything else that masquerades, masquerades as marriage that isn't made of one man and one woman isn't marriage, no matter what the Supreme Court or any legislative body might say. What's particularly amazing is about this moment that we find ourselves in is that it is completely at odds even with non-Christian history. Over the grand sweep of human history, no culture 
has approved of so-called same-sex marriage regardless of that culture's religious leanings. I think that's significant. Those relationships are by nature unproductive. It is a complete dead end in terms of population growth, and in the end, it is a cultural suicide. While I think that we should be concerned and stand against government approval of same-sex unions, we might even, in our day, be more concerned about those who approve of them on theological grounds. The only way to do that is to completely set aside the scriptural witness. That's the only way that Christians can get around the biblical definition of marriage. We have to ignore what the Bible says. St. Paul writes, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. Some will try to get around that, and they'll say, well, Jesus himself never said anything about same-sex unions. But that's not true. Jesus is actually very far from silent on this matter. He says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Not only does he here cite the Genesis passage instituting marriage, but he also reminds his hearers that God's creation of, gen of the gender binary is essential to the basis of what marriage is. I'm not sure what the mainstream news has reported on this lately, but in the last few weeks, the Pope has issued instruction for the Roman Catholic Church for the blessing of same-sex unions. This has put the Christian world in a bit of an uproar. It's kind of interesting that even among Lutheran and Protestant Christians, you'll find many people suddenly caring about what the Pope thinks about things. The concern here is that the Church of Rome, for all of its faults, has a huge influence on global Christianity. After all, even Lutherans in this country didn't really start to make changes to the way our liturgy worked until after Rome started to make liturgical changes in the 1960s. The point I'm trying to make here is that the biblical teaching on marriage is under grave assault even from within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we learn from Genesis 2 and Jesus' citation of it in the Gospels is that God alone gets to decide what marriage is. The culture cannot simply change the components of marriage and still call it marriage any more than you could change the components of the Lord's Supper to grape juice and crackers and still call it the sacrament. People loved by God, I'll be honest with you, it has already become quite difficult to maintain a biblical confession about the nature of marriage in our day. And I really don't think that it's going to get any easier from here. It may be tempting, then, just to simply throw up our arms and say, what's the harm? Who's being hurt by this? And that's often an argument that I hear. 
And that leads us very nicely then into the second thing that we ought to see from the scripture about marriage. Here again, the words of the apostle Paul, what he says about wives in our epistle reading. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We learn from this passage that Christian wives are a picture. They're an icon of, of the church. You wives sitting in the pews today are pictures of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ by very nature of you being joined to your husband. Here again what St. Paul says of husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. In the same way then, Christian husbands are a picture of Christ in the world, an icon of our Lord Jesus. What St. Paul reveals to us in the epistle reading for today is that marriage is a very reflection of the gospel itself. Marriage is a picture of Christ's love for his bride, the church, how he laid down his life to cleanse her. Think about it. We've already spoken about how the Bible begins with the marriage of Adam and Eve. One of the chief metaphors that God uses when he speaks to his people in the Old Testament is that he is the husband to his people, Israel, the bride. We've already heard Jesus' first miracle at a wedding where he reveals his glory. And the Bible ends with nothing less than the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. Marriage is not some secondary doctrinal issue. But it is right to the heart of the gospel itself. Dear saints, the Lord Jesus loves marriage because it is a living proclamation of the saving death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, whereby he shed his blood to cleanse his bride, the church, from every spot, from every wrinkle, from every blemish, that she, that we, would be holy and without blemish in his sight. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.